Welcome to a special edition of the Portically Yours podcast. I'm Yvonne Booz. For the past two years, this segment has showcased poems from Northern Illinois writers and a few from other states. Portically Yours has given you glances of the poets, but it doesn't allow you to hear the depth of the artist. These special segments will do just that. They will serve as a special backdrop for this weekly series. Our first featured poet is from Kansas City, Missouri. I first heard Sherry Purpose Hall perform at the 2021 Gods and Goddesses Poetry Slam. This national competition was created by Goddess Warrior the Poet. Hall considers herself more than just a poet. Her creativity extends beyond paper and pen. I'm an artist. Um, When you're a writer, you're a writer. But I also do um, multimedia art. Here's a conversation I had with her just days before she competed in the 2022 Gods and Goddesses Poetry Slam, a national competition. Sherry, how long have you been writing? Oh, goodness. Um, I've been writing since I was six. Um, Did the first poem, like, for my grandfather's funeral, actually, um, when I was seven. Uh, And I've always written. All right. And do you, what do you call yourself? Are you just a poet, um, spoken word performer? What what do you call yourself? I'm an artist. Okay. okay. I'm an artist. Um, when you're a writer, you're a writer. You do all different kinds of writing. I write um, poems, spoken word pieces, which are, you know, pieces meant for performance. I write um, even scientific journal articles. Um did I say essays already, stories? I actually just did um, a portion of a play and performed in that this weekend. Oh, wow. So, yeah, but I also do um, multimedia art, um, multimedia visual art. So most poets um, or most people who identify as poets also are really multidisciplinary. Yeah, I agree. I'm a poet, but I'm also a journalist, and I also like right. to do other things. And I always say, if you're a writer, you're a writer. I joke with my friend. He's a comedian, and he's like, leave the jokes up to me. And I'm like, all I need is to learn structure, bro. Like, I can all I need to me. learn is white space, because comedy lives in white space. It lives. Comedians are such immaculate writers. They really are, and I don't think they get enough credit for that. Um, to be able to inject that kind of comedic timing in there and then in the performance know how to let that sit on the audience's brain and let it breathe so that they can laugh and then you go on to the next thing even the rapid fire comedians knows what lands real fast and then know how to take a break and then come back to it um so i i really appreciate comedians and comedic writing um i'm goofy (laughs) i can i can write some funny stuff on purpose but um let's just say a lot of times the funny stuff i've written has happened on accident i might perform it and then the audience starts laughing i'm like okay check that's funny (laughs) oh my goodness but as a performing artist um i used to go to open mics let's say like 2004 and I was a diff poetry jam group groupie totally um but it wasn't until 2006 um there was a whole life change and I started actually taking the craft seriously and really kind of stepped into 
this whole art form of spoken word. So what was it that changed your life to make you want to pursue that particular type of performance? So I didn't know that I wanted to pursue it. Let's start there. Um, God puts you in places and makes things happen that you don't even know what's going to happen. In 2005, the father of my children, which I had um, two girls, one was already here and I was six months pregnant with one. He was murdered. Um, And I went through that whole situation, birthing a child by myself, um, really, mm, you know, uh, after that, let's say in July of 2006, we're a whole year later. Um, I'm rolling with my best friend. My best friend's like, um, met this person passing out flyers at a gas station of all places. And she's like, I want to go to this. And it was church. And I'm way too metropolitan to be like, well, no, I don't have plans for that. So we end up going to church. Uh, (laughs) And I was always been a church girl, right? I was just at that time out here. Um, And I went and then the next day I done rededicated my life and everything else. Well, two weeks later, it is the year anniversary of the father of my children's murder. And I had a choice to either go, we're going to go sit at the grave site. We're going to bring two gallons of alcohol because I always kept to um, a light and a dark to keep the spirits even in the house. So we were <laughs> going to bring this alcohol. We was going to bring some blacks. We was going to sit at the... Um, grave site and that's what's gonna be we're gonna celebrate you know my baby daddy and I had that choice or I had this flyer in my hand and this flyer was a show called his will um and it was an acronym helping and saving what's lacking and lost it was a poetry show and you know long story short my best friend ride or die I was like look we can go either way you want to go we went and picked up some fish <laughs> and went to the theater and I got in there and I met a man named Ed Spoken Vision Rollins and he brought me in and didn't let me go. So he actually gave me my first paying job, um, took me out of town for the first time. And it was me, like I said, I had been going to like open mics in like 2004, but I never memorized anything. I kind of showed up. I did some writing online, whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, when I stepped in here, it was a different world. I got top things. I got community. Um, that's where, I don't know if you know Tiana Real Cooper. That's where I met her originally. Um, a lot of people that I am currently friends with now that we do arts together and different things like that, that I call sisters and family um, because they really are, because they have seen me through the worst and best. They have watched me develop. Um, back in the day, they, they used to call me Gangsta Boo. Cause <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is a love poem. And, and they were like, you are so rough. You are <laughs> And they laugh because I'm, I'm rough, but I'm wearing this flower in my hair. I have on these earrings and stuff. Um, and I was really learning how to embrace femininity while still yet being who I am. And they watched and, and, and saw me and even learned from that process, and I'm forever grateful um, for that. So if I say poetry saved my life, um, yeah, it did that. It now, did that, it brought me back. where did you grow up at? What'd you say? Where did you grow up? Kansas City, Missouri. So I'm a native Kansas Cityan. 
I'm here. I'm loyal to the soil. Um, I love coming to visit everywhere else, though. So this is why you might catch me in Rockford. You might catch me in Richmond. You might catch me in Chicago. You might catch me anywhere else where, um, let's say, my friends are, and there might be poetry to be had. Um, because not only is this a career, but it allows me to go develop these interpersonal relationships with, pe with, with people. Because I'm a true to form introvert as well. Um, but this profession makes you be extroverted in some really weird ways. Um, yeah, but if I'm able to have one-on-one -on -one time with, um, people I like and love, um, and also compete or go be hired for something, definitely down. Now you said a career, is this, this is your career? Like, do you have something on the side and poetry is like something that you do to fill in the blanks or is this? this is what you do to make a living. Now, poetry did used to be my side hustle. It did. So I was very much corporate. Um, I used to work for Sprint, then switched to Ericsson for a number of years doing um, network engineering and user acceptance testing and all that stuff on the back, um, vendor management, you name it, very corporate. Um, and I did poetry you know, on the side, on the weekends, I might, um, okay, I'm taking a lunch break because they've invited me to a school to come mentor to do this, that, like I would get it in, right? Um, and then 2016, um, I got laid off um, and I already knew I'd been praying about it. Like, Lord, I, I already knew one, I wasn't gonna be allowed to stay in that profession um, and make the kind of money I was supposed to make. Because if I had made the kind of money I was supposed to make, I would never leave it. Um, and two, I knew, okay, if I'm going to leave this place, I'm leaving with severance, exactly what happened. Left severance, okay, now I'm gonna make my career. Um, published a couple of books, uh, freaked out, started working for another place. <laughs> um, but that whole time I'd always also been working for Poetry for Personal Power on the side. And Poetry for Personal Power would help um, in funding resilience messaging events. Um, and I'd been with Poetry for Personal Power since 2012, kind of writing grants for my artistry since then as well. Um, in 2016, I went and picked up more hours um, because they call us artists who are able to do admin functions. Well, I call us day walkers because every artist is not able to do admin and arts, right? Um, and I can do admin, corporate, all that stuff. So when I went for Poetry for Personal Power, I did a lot of number crunching, research, entry, yada, yada, picking people up, helping with contract negotiations. Like it just grew and grew um, until 2019, the founder stepped down and I came in as interim CEO. So I'm currently the CEO now of Poetry for Personal Power. And we do mental health and arts. Now tell me more about that organization. I know Goddess was telling me that um, that that was something you were involved in. So you said now you're the CEO. How did you become involved in that organization? So in let's see, 2011, 2012, I and I would encourage anybody listening who is an artist to, if this is in your area, definitely sign up. Um, there is an organization, Creative Capital. And out of that comes these Artists Inc. classes. Artists Inc. teach 
artists, teaches artists the business of artistry. A lot of times artists, again, back to that point before, like a lot of times artists are not administrators. Um, artists know how to be artists, but actually making a sustainable living wage, which also solidifies your mental health, well-being, your children, your family, because we're not even going to pretend that when someone says the word, oh, I want a creative, they don't act like we live in some sort of cloud and we're a hippie, like we don't need to be paid. No, we need to be paid and we need to be paid a fair living wage. Um, our hours and our time and our minds and our craft is worth something, whether we went to school for it or not. Um, we have enough experience in the bag, you know, to even have seniority in this, if you will. Um, Cause if I were to count the years, I'm worth it. Okay. Um, but becoming involved with this organization, I was a student at Artist Inc. And they were teaching like tax, everything else. And I was in this cohort of 25 artists that were sculptors, oil painters, um, jewelry make I mean it was just multidisciplinary and we were all learning this business well people kept asking me because I was a poet did I come there by way of Karina West I'm like no I don't know this person after I came to know the person and I got signed up for poetry for personal power because I was involved in another thing um and signing up for it is almost like writing a grant so it's almost like I wrote one of my first grants to be a part of Poetry for Personal Power because that is the sponsored artist program, teaching artists how to make sustainable wages. One way we can get funding is through grants. So when you sign up for us and um, say, I wanna be a sponsored artist and you put your demographic information and then you put your bio in and you put your pictures and stuff like that, you're really applying um, because we get grants to fund sponsored artist programming. So you're applying to be re-granted for whatever you do. And then the instructions that go along with that is you tell your resilience story. Um, how do I overcome adversity? What helped me through my um, mental health challenges? What helped me through trauma? And you get to present original art after telling people that story or in the middle of it or however you sandwich it or maybe even teaching people workshops, going to schools and different things of that nature. Um, and within that resilience messaging for Poetry for Personal Power, what we do, number one, is we are interested in the research behind how people adjust or how arts affect your mental health. So everyone in wherever you're presenting is going to take a survey. How do arts affect mental health? Um, that helps us, number one, with our evidence-based programming. Number two, we can give that research to researchers and help get more funding for arts and mental health, right? Um, but number two, what you're doing, again, is doing grant fulfillment. So after that, you're going to do a form, that's uh, an event form that says how many people were there, how many filled out um, surveys, send us pictures, da, da, da. And before you know it, you've walked through your first grant process. So it makes the idea of going for funding not so crazy. I don't think a lot of people even know about that. Now, I've been a poet since I was 11, so a number of years. And I've never heard anyone talk about getting paid for your poetry outside of maybe doing an event or, you know, 
selling or doing something on your own. I never heard of courts getting grants. So that's um, great information. So I'm going to look more into yeah. that because I think our listeners need to know. Um, now I want to talk about you and this performance thing. So you talked about going to open mics and meeting this person, but when did you really get serious in regards to performing and, and refining your craft and being able to get on stage and just without a piece of paper and just let it flow? So I, I, it did happen like 2006. I got my first paying gig, like I said, with um, Ed Spoken Vision Rollins. And he gave me the gig. He told me like, this is what they want. It was a singles conference and they wanted some poets to speak. And I, I was so honored because I didn't at that time you know, and still for a long time, I didn't know my own worth. I was in that space. So to be offered even like $150 to say a poem was like, whoa, what? Um, and at that time, I hadn't, I guess, played my whole hand on stage at those open mic experiences. So when I came in to that first gig, I was determined, like, I'm going to memorize this poem. I'm going to do it. Because before, I wasn't. So I'm going to, so he basically hired me out the strength of the fact that I could just read well from a paper and I could write. And that now, looking back on it, is still even amazing to me, right? So I come in there completely memorized, knock it out the box. And he is like, like, I wasn't expecting. And that's when I learned, okay there is a difference between being a writer and giving a poetry reading and real true to form spoken, even though I was a deaf poetry groupie and I was enamored with what they did. I didn't necessarily realize that I could do it too. So after that, um, I started work on a CD um, it was a full gospel CD. And in the midst of that, I was getting pulled around to every church, everywhere, midnight musicals, everything, and not being paid. This is another reason why I'm so adamant about paying artists. Um, I'm running around on fumes. Um, you know, everyone uses those code words. Can you, can you come bless us? Um, you, would you like to give back? What? Now it's like, yeah, okay. And in order for me to be able to sow into your communities, um, you, you can't feed from the milk of my breasts and not give me nourishment to be able to continue to refill. It's not going to happen and not going to happen for any artists that um, are linked up with me. Of course, I choose. I've learned the art of choosing. Hey, okay, pro bono event. I can maybe do one a month. I can maybe do two a month. Can I afford to do anything this month? Um, Cause my time with my children is valid at that time being pulled around on gas fumes. I'm going everywhere with no rest. I'm lugging toddlers with me. It's like looking back at the insanity of that. I would tell any artist, I need you to learn your worth. I need you to learn it. Um, but as me, as a performer, that still also, I don't regret it because that was still the stomping ground and the learning ground of me learning audiences, learning feedback, going back and forth. And then my first time actually performing in a bar. 
that performance in that bar changed everything, right? Because I was doing all churches and everything, but going to that bar, because it was something called Bless the Mic. I read the flyer well. I got invited. Okay, Bless the Mic, cool. I'm coming there. I'm like, this is a bar. <laughs> I, well, y'all asked me to be here, so I'm going to do me. Did me. And the first person ever I had beer snot on my shoulder beer snot what is that oh my god i i love you. oh my god you spoke to me that is what beer snot sounds like and it was gross and endearing and i needed it i needed to know i should be performing outside of church i should be my pulpit is everywhere and i can get away with saying whatever i need to say because these people need to hear my actual voice um so you know praise god for beer snot and (laughs) getting out here um and really displaying who i am so yeah i can say things out here that i can't say in church but both hit the soul the same both tell the authentic story I am able to be all versions of myself and embrace that. Yeah, we might be able to cuss like a sailor out here and not be able to cuss like a sailor in here, but the message still remains the same and I'm still the same person, still the same ministry. Um, It just falls upon ears differently depending on your space. And that is the trick of communications, right? A communicator knows what communications work in what places, not just what communications are allowed. What communications are going to engage your audience and really help them to absorb what you are conveying. Um, So in this journey, I have learned even so much more of that, Um, but performance, and workshopping. I live in workshopping, but performance is, I can't deny it is a huge part of what I do. Um, Writing though, I do definitely have a vault and I have multiple books um, of poetry that they're not necessarily my performance pieces. Yeah, I could give a reading, I could give a performance of them, but they're not the ones that have been crafted necessarily for that space. Now, can you tell me, what do you do to prepare as far as making sure you're remembering your poems? I've heard people say they record themselves and just listen to it over and over or, you know, just repeat it over and over. What do you do to prepare to make sure those words stick? It depends on what mental headspace I'm in. Um, I will record poems, especially if I'm going to be on the road a lot or whatnot, and I might listen to myself do them, um, mute it and keep repeating it back. But honestly, I am a pacer. So as I'm memorizing poems, if I get it in somewhere where I can maybe even put the paper down, I am walking a groove into the floor, going back and forth, pacing. Um, I don't know what it is about the movement plus memory that that enhances that. Um, Yeah, that time pacing the floor, even if I'm trying to refresh old poems, it makes the difference. Also, while I am memorizing, I am sonic editing as well. So I can write a thing, but it's not right, even in the ones that are not performance poetry. I can write a thing, but it's not right until I hear my voice 
say it like, no, this needs to be changed. The syntax on this is off. This needs to go eight stanzas down. It can't, you know, um, it, it makes the difference. So the sonic of it also helps with the memorization because I have um, milestones and, and places where I know where I'm supposed to be. And that also helps with telling of the story. And also if I do drop the poem, I can pick up at another milestone and pretend like it didn't happen. No one ever knows. No one needs to know that. This is a special performance, Dagnab. You accepted what it is. It's a gift. <laughs> now, before I get into um, you learning about Goddess Warrior the Poet, can you at least say a stanza for me? It doesn't have to be long, and I may ask you again later on in the conversation. Just something that I can use for radio. Ah, something you can use for radio. Yes. The reminder. Um, certainly I can do that. Um, so there's this thing, right? Um, about the word female. Nobody says the word female like a man with attitude. Like a man with so much angst in his jawbone, you would think he had lockjaw. You would think his mouth a wound, an infected, gaping, pus-filled hole, poisonous and toxic. No one says female like a man with animosity towards his mother, like a man who sees the wrongs of their own mother and every woman he crosses, believing she will cross him in the end. The big difference between Richard Pryor and Iceberg Slim and him is... He would feel self-offended for calling a woman the B word. So he goes a little less than, operates a little less than, says it ain't abuse because he ain't used his hand and disrespect because he said it with a half grin. And isn't that really what's wrong with calling women female? The lack of effort, lack of protection, lack of responsibility and accountability. Pretend that it's all good while being greasy. Is that good? <laughs> You know, I wasn't going to stop you at all because <laughs> even though I'm only going to be able to use a little bit of it, I wasn't going to stop you at all. All right. So how did you learn about Goddess Warrior at the point? I met her again. We're going back to the Hizzle people. I met her at Tiana Real Cooper's house. So I came up there for a Write and Wine. She has these shows occasionally called Write and Wine, and she's had them in her home um, where she opens it up and there may be like a three-piece band there and uh, art on the walls and everything is set up. And now she's um, Missouri as well. She's from Missouri, but she lives in Chicago right now. Can you spell her name for me? Tiana, T-E-I-A-N-N-A. -N -N -A. Okay. Real, um, R-E-A-L. It has mm -hmm. a thingy in the middle of it. Okay. Cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R. All right, I'm going to look her up. Um, that's my friend, girl. Um, so I was at her house and this was the first writing one she had me come do. So I'm like, okay, sissy, that's my big sister, right? Um, and I get all dressed and everything and we're getting ready to do this thing. And this person comes in sounding like Holy Ghost personified and love. And the first time she meets me, she gives me this hug that if you haven't had a goddess warrior poet hug, that's a ministry in and of itself, right? She gives me this hug and it's all the good vibes and she has been like that ever since. 
Um, she spit some poetry. She said some words. You know, when she stomps her foot on the floor, the mountains quake. You know what I'm saying? Like she was that deal. And she had just put out her book. Um, and I bought a copy of the book while she was there and things of this nature. It was just, you know, a really good first time that we met each other. Um, and, and she just had all the good energy, seemed like a really good person, um, as did all the people there, which Tiana has a good way of surrounding herself with good people. Um, so a lot of these are even low-key networking events and, um, she did some poetry, like I said, and everyone did poetry. And then I did my feature, me and Tiana did our feature together with the band. But that was my first time meeting Goddess. Um, after that, you know, kind of low key kept in touch, like I would see her every time I come up to visit. Um, and then I learned of what she was doing um, with this gods and goddesses. And I said, okay respect and support. And she also came to my um, function last year as well, which was the Rite of Joy Conference, um, which we have a conference every year. Now, this is our second year doing it, focusing and centering Black and African-American mental health and arts. She came down, she participated in the conference, she um, competed in the slam, and then the next weekend, her slam was in rockford so i came up there to come compete now i know i, I and i'm doing this on memory because i did the story last year you placed third place i did so last year i'm gonna tell you where i messed up i know where i messed up um i had feminine energy all the way up to second to last round like round three two minute poem like feminine energy all the way up to there and, and still feminine energy but it was a little rougher it was a little different than the poems I had spit before and I should have kept the same energy so this time and and the thing is strategy going into a slam number one um you don't know who the judges are I can you know she's already released the names of these people I you still don't know who they are um, how they receive you. So what your job is to do is to control the one thing that you can control. That's number one, your time. You can't control how an audience receives you. You can't control how you're heard or how things may hit someone backwards, but you can't control your time. Um, number two, use pieces that I'm completely comfortable with. And three, present my best self. Now, um, you talked about keeping the same energy throughout the, the, the rounds. Why is that so important? Um, and when I say keeping the same energy, I don't mean saying keeping the same subjects or material. I don't mean the same, all the same mannerisms. Um, I mean, knowing what your audience is responding to and not pulling a whammy on them. Um, you can even switch delivery style. Like you can probably switch serious to comedic to this, to that, but staying in the same vein um, sometimes is pretty important. And for that particular audience, not even that audience, because the audience reacted well to the poetry for that particular group of judges, which we have to know how to separate those two as well. The judges are a part of the audience. The judges are not the audience. 
the audience may roar and cheer and the judges may still give you a low score for whatever reason, right? Um, but keeping the same energy that they were able to tune in to grasp and pick up is important. Last year, all five male judges, five male judges, they were with the feminine energy. Switching it up a little bit like that, um, you know, I, I think my poem choice was a little off in that moment. Good poem, normally scores high, um, just probably not for that moment. Now, do you remember um, the number of slams that you've participated in? Oh, no. <laughs> I've done a lot, um, both locally and um, nationally and regionally. I've done a lot of slams. Why do you think this type of poetry is, is important? Because we have the regular spoken word and then you have the slam where it's competition. And I remember doing a um, interview with a slam poet he was a teacher and he said, the points are not the point. The points are not the point. The point is the poetry. That is the point. Um, Slam was created as a ruse to get drunk people to listen to poetry. It was, it was a game. Like you, you make something competitive, people pay attention. That's what it is. Um, but after that, um, competition dials things up a notch. It dials a, adrenaline and different things up. But for me, and I know a lot of people agree, I don't think there's a such thing as slam poetry. I don't think there's a such thing as slam poets. There is spoken word and there's spoken word you can compete with or not. Um, you know, it's kind of like um, a painter who enters their painting into a contest. Well, they don't call it a competition painting. It's still a doggone painting. Same thing with the poetry and the words. It's still spoken word. It's still the amalgamation of performance art and literature, right? Whether you're getting points or not. So looking at it like that and giving your best, um, Ed Mabry, who was our host, said it best once, gotta give him his credit where it belongs. That honestly, if you are competing in a slam, you're auditioning for a feature really, and it is a feature performance. You know, these points just keep you succeeding to the next round. Well, if someone hired you for a feature, you're probably going to do three, four or more poems, depending on what you're being paid, depending on how much time you have. So if someone wants to keep seeing you, they would actually sit through a whole feature. If you can craft your set almost like a feature or like a feature, you might have something. Thinking of it in that way and then going back to your previous question where we're talking about um, how I felt about last year. Yeah, the one poem I put in that one space, I'm like, hmm, naturally during a feature, I wouldn't have done that with this set of poems. It wouldn't have followed that trajectory unless there was a very specific type of audience for that to happen, if that makes sense. Now, can you tell me what is the most challenging part about being a spoken word artist um so for me again an introvert um it is peopling i love people um but then the talking before talking after i'm in my own head a lot um so that is one of the most challenging parts um because i do still yet have to be human in real human form 
off stage. Um, the other part, um, like now my catalog is extended with a lot more lively, crazy pieces. There's even some erotics in there. Jesus, never even thought that was going to happen. Um, but I was always kind of typified as the very serious poet. So I'd be giving all this strong performance on stage and then get off stage and then people see who I really am. And like, you're not the same person that was like, you're really goofy. I'm like, yes, I am. So that is also sometimes the hard part that sometimes people expect the same person on stage as they do off stage, not realizing that they're both the same person. They're just two different parts. Now, what's the most rewarding? The most rewarding is, um, it is the tears and the connection. So while I am true to form introvert, I still want the feedback. There are certain poems that I do that, um, I only do them if I feel a certain pulling, if I feel a certain unction, right? And those types of poems, every time afterwards, there's someone who comes up and says, you know, I just disclosed to this person. I just, um, you gave me the strength to be able to speak about what happened to me. You, you know, the, the real work where, you know, when you delivered this message, you and someone in the audience, y'all shared a moment. And you don't know who that person is until afterwards. And when they come and tell you they got their healing, or you see them crying to the side, you go um, console and wrap your arms around them if they're open to that. Um, that is the most rewarding part, um, that the writing means something. Even if, um, even if it's a funny poem, even if it's anarchy against adulting, that is a poem that's just F word laden. And, but the point of it is, um, take a break. It's okay. Skip all this to make it radio friendly. Take a break. <laughs> um, you know, Let's, let's have anarchy for just a moment. You can come back to your responsibilities. We work ourselves into the ground. And I've had people even come up to me after that, like, I needed that. I needed that reminder. I needed that. I need to know how to take a break. Um, I need to do self-care. I need to do, and, but yet still that poem is delivered in such a different energy I'm hopping around like it's foolishness. It's absolute craziness. Um, I'm yelling, <laughs> but it's not the sad return. It is the, I'm rejuvenated now. I, yes, thank you. Um, so I think it, it is the interaction with the people knowing the, the end part of the communication transmission form, you know, communicator, transmitter, receiver. The receiver comes back to the communicator and says transmission received. That is the most rewarding part that you were heard and someone else was made to feel like they were heard. 
Now, is there anything else you would like to share with me? Yeah, Right of Joy Centering Black and African-American Mental Wellness Arts and Stories is so important for those people, especially those who serve our communities, no matter what color you are. Come hear the stories. Come hear why a lot of times we might not want to come into the healthcare office. Come hear what happens there and how we feel. Um, come here and listen to our alternative wellness techniques because, okay, there's some people who will never go to clinical mono for, for their wellness. That's okay. But you're going to have to do something. It's okay to be crazy and well. You can't be crazy and unwell. I'm going to need you to adult and fix that and get some help. <laughs> so there are multiple varieties of wellness tools and, and different things that people can use. And we try to do a good job of offering tools, offering instruction and learning about those tools, offering just a healing space for us to be able to feel safe and say what we need to say. Now, Sherry, how can people, like you said, you have books and things like that. How can people purchase those books and get in contact with you? Sure. Um, my website is spokenpurpose.com, all spelled correctly. Spoken, S-P-O-K-E-N, purpose, P-U-R-P-O-S-E.com. And I have books there. Um, you can also reach out to me via, um, you know, to contact me and I will receive an email from you. Um, the other part of this is, again, my organization, Poetry for Personal Power. Um, and that's poetryforpersonalpower.org, all spelled correctly again. Um, and if you were interested in the Rite of Joy, rightofjoy.com, R-I-T-E, like rites of passage, rightsofjoy.com. Listen to Poetically Yours every Friday at 1231 and 618 p.m. on 89.5 WNIJ and at 359 p.m. on 90.5 WNIU. Visit WNIJ.org to hear upcoming extended Poetically Yours podcasts or spend time listening to the poems that you may have missed. And special thanks to Nick Monte Trio for allowing us to use their smooth tunes. For Poetically Yours, I'm Yvonne Booth.